All right, welcome back to another episode of the Harvard Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy, and I'm joined today by Jonathan Charks of The Ringer. Jonathan, how's it going? Good, man. I'm just processing this Chris Paul trade. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, I was getting ready to get on here, and then about 20 minutes before we started, Woj drops this bomb, and it's a lot to take in for sure. I mean, you've got the Rockets giving up a lot of their depth, but bringing in Chris Paul... I mean, crazy stuff. Yeah. All right, so we're we're here to talk some draft today, talking about a lot of these these picks that have went down. I thought it was a I like this draft a lot. I didn't think teams made a lot of mistakes, but first guy we wanted to talk about was Jonah Bolden, who's been a favorite of Hardwood Homies all season long. We we've talked about Jonah Bolden, been leaders of the Jonah Bolden bandwagon all season long. And Jonathan, you were probably nice. higher than anyone else on Jonah Bolden out of the sort of mainstream draft community, having him number 16 on your board. How do you think the Sixers will fit him in into that crowded front court where they've got Ben Simmons, Dario Saric, Rashawn Holmes, Joel Embiid, even Jaleel Okafor? How, how are they going to fit Jonah Bolden into that group of guys, given how crowded it is? I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, then they drafted Lessor and Pesetchniks too. Mm-hmm. Do I think they're going to stay over? Uh, I'm not sure. I know Bolden wanted to come over, but I'm not sure he's going to now because there's no minutes for him. Yeah. So it'll be tough. It's a tough spot to go if you're a young big for sure. Do you think there's any chance he could play some small forward alongside two of those guys given his shooting ability, or do you think that's just too too much spacing, too much spacing problems? I mean, he probably could. It just would not be the best use of his skills. But I mean, you gotta find minutes. Right. He can shoot well enough, and he's mobile enough to guard. I think it takes away most of his kind of creation ability, though, playing against smaller players. But I think he might be able to find minutes there. My guess is it'll be a year. I don't think Jaleel obviously is not there long-term. Mm-hmm. Sarge probably is not there long-term either. I think Bolden could fit in well as a third big behind Simmons and Embiid long, long-term. But it might take a year or two to play out. Yeah, I was kind of kind of seemed like to me... Maybe what they'll do is between him and Pesechniks, see which of those guys they like more a year from now, and then bring that guy over and then try to trade the other one. But I'm not quite sure what they'll do with him, given just how many guys they've got up there. Yeah, I mean, it was it's not ideal going to Philly if you're a young big, but yeah, do what uh, you gotta do. Yeah, I think he's talented enough. He'll find his way eventually if it's not in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean. He he might go there, sit on the bench for a couple of years, but he's he's got the talent to to get somewhere. Another guy I want to talk about. I know you're big you're big Mavs guy, and I really loved the fit of Dennis Smith Jr. with the Mavericks. I thought that was a great pick for them. But uh, probably Dennis Smith Jr.'s biggest question as a prospect was you know his waning effort level, his sort of disconnect with his teammates, and that sort of thing. So you think Rick Carlisle can iron that out for him, or do you think that? Him and Rick Carlisle will clash in kind of in the similar way that Rajon Rondo and Carlisle clashed. I will say this. Carlisle was super – I was at the Mavs draft party, and I went to their press conference to introduce Smith. Carlisle was super excited in a way he usually isn't about young players. I mean, Carlisle was raving about him, and he's not a guy who's going to just talk good about a young guy. I remember when they drafted Justin Anderson and went to UVA, and like people were asking Rick, like, oh, you know, went to the same college – and Rick was just kind of like, yeah, you know, college. He has to work on some stuff. You know, he's a good kid, I think. 
Like, he's not going to say a bunch of stuff he doesn't believe in. He really likes Dennis Smith. We'll see how it goes. I, the funny thing, I asked Smith about his defense in, in college, and he basically said he doesn't know how to play defense because uh, Gottfried never talked about it. That's and I, I explained a lot about what happened at NC State this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't be the ACC and not coach defense. It's not the Big East, not the America East Conference. Yeah, and the good news for Smith is I actually think, you know, he doesn't have the great wingspan, but he's obviously super explosive. And he, he was second in the ACC in steals, I think, which steals generally a good indicator for de- defense. So I think he can get there. Um, so I, I think that, that that could work out for sure. So Yeah, it's a great spot for him, for sure. You got So you got Noel at five, then you got Dirk as a small, as a stretch five, a stretch four, Barnes at four. Seth Curry at two, Wes at three. I mean, you got a lot of shooting around him, a lot of space, a lot of veterans. You got guys who can play defense. I mean, this is like if you want to draw it up, this is the perfect place for Smith. So I'm, I think it's worked out well for him. Yeah, that's kind of the whole draft. I was thinking Smith is not going to work out well if he lands in a Sacramento or New York, where you have kind of a toxic team culture. But Dallas, I think, is going to be an awesome place for him because I mean, he's got all the talent. I think. In terms of pure talent, he's probably a top three, top four prospect in this yeah, class. Yeah, I think that's fair. But Dallas is a place where they can maximize that for him, and I, I love the pick. I'm surprised he was there at nine for them. And it was interesting, like, watching the press conference. So you could tell, like, Cuban and Carlisle are such, like, alpha personalities, and they really sold Smith hard. And, like, you know, we're this great franchise. We're giving us all responsibility. And, like, they had the press conference in this room with, like, just festooned with like Mavs 2011 like memorabilia and souvenirs and pictures, so you could tell he was like this is a big thing, mm-hmm. and he was like sufficiently cowed by all the gravitas in the room that perhaps Mark Godfrey doesn't really have <laughs> in the same way. I'm yeah. Thinking. So we'll see, obviously, but I'm optimistic. He was he impressed me. He was super. He was very. It was like quiet confidence. Just from like I was obviously I didn't like get to talk to him very much. Just like watching the press conference, just for like an hour, he wasn't like really. It's a quiet, humble confidence. I think we'll do him well in that locker room. I th- yeah. I mean, I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I, I I really like it. I think I give that an A. I just thought it was I thought it was a great pick for both sides. Another uh, pick. Let's see, the other thing. Sorry, one more thing is the okay. Matt said when uh, Frank went off the board at eight, like they uh-huh. like a cheer went up in their war room. They were all like high fiving wow. and celebrating. So that's that's very interesting because they hired his summer league or his uh his coach from France to coach their summer league team, right? Yeah, essentially they admitted it was smokescreen. So one of the reporters okay. asked Carlisle, they said, "Well, if Frank was there, would it have been a hard choice?" And then Rick's kind of looked at him. Was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we thought there was four elite point guards in this draft. We just didn't think they would come to us at nine, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, we knew he'd be gone at eight. So I think they, yeah, I think they were happy with how it went down. That's awesome. I, I love Dennis Smith in Dallas. One pick I was a little bit, a lot more interested in, actually, I was kind of before the draft fearing that it would happen was Jonathan Isaac ending up in Orlando. I was a huge Jonathan Isaac fan. I had him, I was debating whether he was my second or third best prospect. I know you had him as your third best prospect, but yeah. with Aaron Gordon there and the issues they've had playing him at the three, how do you think they'll work out playing Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon together? 
I hope eventually they're going to play as a four or the five. So I'm hoping. That's that's exactly what I was hoping, but I was worried they were going to try to play one of those guys at the three. Well, which... they will for now because they got Booch and Biombo, and they're both super young. But I mean, they'll have those guys for like seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, as they get stronger, management changes over. I I mean, they have to do it. That that's the way to go. That's the way forward for Orlando is them one at the four, one at the five, and maybe get a, like a good elite point guard. Like, what if they got Doncic? They go Doncic, Gordon, Isaac. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, I mean, I think they're still a year away because they need to get a primary. I was a little surprised they didn't take Smith or one of the other point or Monk or one of the point guards. They need a primary guy long term, so they're probably a year away from anything decent. Oh yeah, Isaac. Isaac long term's not a primary guy. He's your no. your, your like stud role player who's your like third or fourth option on offense. So they need that. That guy to sort of build around because Alfred Payton is not that guy in the backcourt. Neither is Evan Fournier. So next year's draft is definitely going to be something to watch for them, especially because you know it's not as heavy on point guards next year. I mean, you've got Doncic, but then after that, it's Colin Sexton and Trevon Duvall, and those guys are you know not in the same sort of tier as your Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith this year necessarily. Maybe Colin Sexton breaks in there. But, yeah, we'll see. A lot can happen in a year, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Um, next up, I want to talk about uh, DJ Wilson in the Bucks. I know you were super high on DJ Wilson. You had him as your number nineteen player, and I I like the Bucks. I liked I like DJ Wilson too. I wasn't as high. I think I had him number twenty seven on my board. But I wanted to know what you thought about how they could utilize him because I was looking at some Bucks lineup stats yesterday and. Uh, Mirza Toledovic was part of their three most successful five-man lineups. And so I think utilizing a stretch four for them is something that will really help them. But I was wondering how you thought DJ Wilson in particular would fit in with those guys because, you know, they play this positionless brand of basketball, and he's kind of a really interesting complement to other guys in that front court. Yeah, um, I think what's what you're saying Probably, you look at it like Mears was great in the regular season, but against Toronto in the playoffs, he just couldn't move and mm-hmm. couldn't guard anybody. And I think eventually you slide DJ right into that slot. Yeah. About the same size, more versatile player. He needs to get better about everything. Yeah. He might be a guy who's going to the G League for a year, but I, I can see two years from now, three years from now, stretch big off the bench. Yeah, I, I kind of saw him as Mirza with shot blocking and mobility. You know, he's, he's got some pretty great size. He's almost, like, the height and wingspan for him is, like, the size of a center, even though he's not that built mm-hmm. and he's not a rebounder. But just in terms of I, mean, that, I think, yeah, like, that's the biggest plus for me about Wilson is how fluid. You don't think he's that big watching him play because he's so fluid. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play big either, but he moves so well. You think he's, like, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, but he's legit 6'10", 6'11", 240 with long arms. Yeah, he, he just doesn't, he doesn't play that way. But if he can, you know, develop in the D-League, like you said, and get to that point where he's sort of more of an inside presence, but he also has that three-point shot. That's He could be a really useful player for the Bucks. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, another guy I want to talk about was uh, Tony Bradley. You seem like, I think you were the highest I'd seen anyone on Tony Bradley. You had him as your number 13 player. So I was wondering, what about Tony Bradley caught your eye and how you think he'll fit in Utah? Well, I think the main thing for me, if you're taking a true five high... They've got to be a really good creator. Like they've got to be able to punish the mismatch, both on the boards and in the post and in the high post. 
And I think Bradley has a lot of offensive potential that was not realized this year, you know, playing as a third or fourth big at UNC. I think he's a really good post scorer. I think he's got a lot of moves. And when I really, I didn't have, I wasn't that high on him at first, but then I went back and watched a lot of his film, like just to watch him specifically. I think he's a really smart player too. I think he knows how to play. I think he can make a lot of good passes. And what NBA guys have told me is they think he can shoot, which obviously he didn't show it this year. And that's kind of, I don't really don't know. Because mm-hmm. guys will always say, oh, we shot well in workouts. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I've heard from multiple NBA people that they think he can shoot and that Roy specifically didn't want him to shoot because Roy wanted him back next year. Wow. That, but who knows? We'll see. That's kind of, we'll see about that. Yeah, I I kind of agree. I When I was watching him, I definitely saw some of those little flashes of being a smart player, like you said. I mean, he's got a lot better passing vision than a lot of, you know, freshman true fives, your Onik Bogus, those sorts of types. But my main concern with him is, you know, just that foot speed. How do you how does that translate to the modern NBA where you want your centers to be able to move out on the perimeter? And especially in Utah, where Rudy Gobert might not necessarily be able to do that. How how does Tony Bradley compliment him in that front court? He doesn't compliment Gobert at all. I mean it was a tough spot for him. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted so I guess I can say this. I heard that apparently the Lakers promised Bradley at 28, mm-hmm. and that's why I declared. And playing with Lonzo and getting a lot of minutes in L.A., now he has to go to Utah, play the slowest-paced team in the league, play 10 minutes a game. It's a tough break for him. I mean, he got his contract, but he might want to go back to school now because yeah. he won't play more than 10 minutes a game in Utah ever. He yeah. doesn't compliment Gobert at all. He won't, I don't think he'll ever be a – I think he's fast enough to be like your generic – like decent five, play the Zaza role, hedge or drop back. He's not going to be a switching guy though, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I, I do think that he, yeah, he might be able to get some minutes because you know Utah didn't really have a true backup center. They were kind of using Derek Favors in that role, but like you said, I don't think him and Gobert will ever be able to play together, which is just tough for him because Gobert is going to be getting a lot of minutes going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Luke Kennard was another guy who uh, I was very interested to hear your take on because you had him a lot lower than hardly, any, hardly anyone else. You had him as your number 36 guy. So what what about him it, was it that you not liked, and how do you think he'll translate to the NBA? I just I don't value wings who don't play defense, and he doesn't, and I don't see many scenarios where he does. Like, even Redick, Redick, like, if that's the calm form, Redick got so much more athletic in the NBA, transformed his body, it took him three years to even become decent defensively. And even mm-hmm. now, he gets exposed in defense a lot against elite teams. I mean, Kennard, I think, will stick in the league. He's got shooting, pretty skilled. But to me, a wing who doesn't play defense isn't that valuable. And I don't see him as a guy who doesn't play defense. So, Yeah, I can I can agree with that. I don't see Kennard playing a lot of defense. But I think most teams – do you think most teams were sort of cognizant of the fact that he's probably not going to play defense? Or do you think there were teams – talking themselves into the idea of him, you know, being able to guard ones or something like that? Uh, I think they are probably cognizant of it, but it was just a sense, oh, he's the best shooter in the draft. He could be Kyle Korver. But to me, I'd rather have, like, Derek White, who's, like, 90% the shooter Korver is and can do all other things and play defense. Mm-hmm. Than, I'm at Korver and Kennard. Yeah. I'd rather have a versatile guy who's a B-plus shooter than an A-plus shooter who can't do anything else. Yeah, so I think that... You're definitely right about that, but what do you think NBA team? Why do you think NBA teams fall in love with these Canard type players? I mean, you saw Nick Stauskas go number eight in 2014. 
Buddy Heald's kind of a similar similar type player from last season. And these guys continue to, you know, just not be that valuable because yeah, they can shoot, but their defense is so bad that it hurts. How do you think why do you think why don't you think teams have figured this out yet? No, I don't know. I mean I think everyone falls in love with three point shots, right? Mm-hmm. Also too, like a three point a great three point shooter doesn't play defense. He can give you a quick boost right away by improving spacing. And the mm-hmm. defense can be hit in the regular season. But like as once you get into the playoffs, it becomes less valuable. But for NBA teams who want to win now, want that quick boost, it's easy to fall in love with the elite shooter. Even Corver in the playoffs has not been that good tradition historically. Mm-hmm. Like you can be game planned out of a series if you're just all you can do is shoot. But in the regular season it can be a kind of a quick sugar rush. It's like a sugar rush, basically. You mm-hmm. get that quick boost, help you out, plus three or four wins. But the long term is not the best. Yeah, I think Detroit is certainly the type of team that where you've got the front office trying to save their jobs, and you know if Kennard brings them five extra wins next season, that helps. But he's not helping them win any playoff series for sure. Another guy to talk about was a uh, John Collins that you had number thirty-five. Uh, you were you're pretty low on him. Uh, I I can I've heard the arguments against John Collins, and I understand them. But I th- I kind of love his fit in Atlanta because I think. Coach Bud has the he's got that great developmental skill, and I think that Collins has like the upside to be developed. I mean, you look at Paul Millsap when he got to Atlanta, his defensive win shares jumped as soon as he got there. He's posting the best defensive seasons of his career as soon as he got there, which obviously he was hitting the prime of his career, but at the same time he was put in a better situation to succeed. So, do you think that John Collins, the rumors that he can shoot are true, or if they're true, do you think that? You know, he can be taught to play defense in Atlanta. You think that's a good landing spot for him? Um, the only talking about Atlanta is Bud's kind of like Brad Stevens. He likes his bigs to shoot, dribble, and pass in the perimeter. Mm-hmm. My thing with Collins basically was he's a guy, he's not going to block shots. He doesn't shoot, so he can't really be a four or five. So it's like how valuable that the league is going. He could be good. He's very skilled, very athletic, obviously. He can be a rim runner. And he might, he's very good chance he's better than what I have him at, for sure. Mm-hmm. LA is a good spot for him. They're rebuilding now, so he'll get plenty of minutes. It's just a matter of, I think, how good can he be as a perimeter defender on the perimeter? Basically, in college, he dominated the, the rim, mm-hmm. but he has to play, he'll never do that in the NBA. He has to be a good perimeter defender and a good perimeter scorer. And I have not seen him do any of those things, so it's hard for me to totally believe in him. So he makes a big jump from college to the NBA. And there's just, my thing with Collins, like 37, there's just, or wherever I had him at, there were just so many bigs in this draft. And I think the bigs ahead of him, I thought, could either do better with their paint than he could or better in the perimeter. I feel like he's kind of trapped in the middle right now and he has to yeah. kind of pick a lane. Yeah, I see that. I was just, I think that Hawks University hasn't really, you know, experimented with a big man yet outside of like Mike Muscala, who was such a low skill level to start with. I'm just interested to see how he develops alongside, you know, how they've seen wings develop like Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry because I think that, you know, he could be the type of guy who really grows in that Atlanta environment. I mean, the tough thing is Millsash probably gone, Dwight's gone, yeah. Orford's gone. The, the whole team is gone. It's just basically been a Schroeder now. They're starting from scratch. So it's easier when you're trying to develop when you have stars to play off of. So it's a whole new day in Atlanta. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um there are a lot of 3 and D guys in this draft. You know, you're Sterling Browns, Sundarius Thornwell, Josh Hart. Which of those guys out of the sort of 3 and D category 
do you think has the best chance to succeed given the the landing spot they ended up with? Um, well, I like Sterling Brown a lot. I think there's some Brogdon in his game. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest plus he has, he's an elite shooter, and he's a versatile defender. Yeah, I feel like Thorn- Thornwell's got the defense, Hart's got the shooting, but they're not as well-rounded as Brown. Also, the Bucks play young guys. They play positionless basketball. They'll play off Giannis and Middleton with a lot of open shots. He moves the ball well. I think he'll do well in Milwaukee. It'll be interesting with Sundarius' fit. I think Hart will be fine in L.A. playing with Lonzo. He'll get a lot of shots. Yeah. And then Sundarius, who knows what happens in L.A.? Like, who do, who's on the team mixture? I have no idea. Patrick so Beverly and Will Williams. Now. He could, he could play a lot. It just yeah. depends on what they do. I don't know. Um, I think they all they, – they should – I think Brown and Harrell stick in the league for sure. Thornwell might. He's a Jerry West draft, which is a good sign. Yeah. I think they'll all stick in the league, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, I love Sterling. I, he was like my number fifteen player. I just nice. I like it. I, I love, like it. I love his shooting, and I think his defense is real. And I think Milwaukee's like a great spot for him because he, yeah, he, he's a lot like Brogdon. So I think they can kind of interplay at the point because he did run a lot of point for SMU last year. I mean, it was kind of him and Shake yeah. Milton sharing the. Duties. Well, yeah, it was kind of like a ball sharing thing. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. So I live in Dallas. So I know some of the SMU people, mm-hmm. and like. Everyone would ask them about Semi all year, and they were always like, Sterling Brown is the guy. That was the guy they really loved more than even Semi. So he was like the leader of the team, just super well respected. Brother played in the NBA for a long time. Mm-hmm. He was kind of the glue on both sides of the ball. Yeah, he he's just someone like, as like the draft process was going on, and there was like hardly anyone talking about him, I just was like, He's the most obvious three and D prospect out there, and I mean shot the four. one knock on him is he's not super athletic. Yeah, so we should put that out there. He's not a great athlete. Yeah, he's not like his brother. It's funny. His brother was all athletic ability, low IQ, and they're kind of the reverse. Yeah, I think I think he's a little more athletic than he gets credit for, but like, yeah, he's probably not like a plus NBA athlete. Like he was like a, a below average finisher at the rim at SMU. So like, I don't think that's going to be his game in the NBA. I think he's going to be like shooting running pick and rolls, handling the ball a little bit, and then just playing a lot of defense. Yeah, guarding threes and fours a lot. Yeah. And so the last guy I wanted to talk about was Bam Adebayo. You had him ranked 44th. I had him as my number 39 player. I think a lot of people were higher on him, but I I didn't understand that. So what what do you think the Heat saw in him? Why do you think they were compelled to reach on him? Because – I think there were so many redundant bigs in this class, and I don't understand definitely. why a team like the Heat would reach for Adebayo when there there's just so many better value picks there that they could have gone with. I mean, Justin Jackson was right there. They need a three. So I, why do you think they went for Adebayo there? And My do you guess think is it can they were out? looking at purely at their big board, and he's very athletic. Maybe he can shoot. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'd say to me, Bam is like Julius Randle, but... Much less skilled, so I'm not super into that. But I think they're gonna find out he can't play at the four, which means he's a 15 minute, 15 minute guy behind Hassan. So I guess I mean I'm sure he looked at his athletic ability. Possibly he can switch. Great jumper, obviously very strong rebounder. Maybe he can become better defender with time. He might have more skill than he should at Kentucky because mm-hmm. Fox and Monk had the ball so much and he had no spacing around him. Mm-hmm. I guess is the idea. Do you think he can switch? Because I, I know some people think he did, but when I was watching him, I didn't. I wasn't in love with his his foot speed out there. 
Yeah, I mean, down the road. The tough part is he had a lot of extra weight he's carrying. Like, mm-hmm. he's like 250, 260 already. I don't know how he's flat weight is the way the league is playing. Just carrying extra weight around. I don't know how much value he really has for him. Yeah, especially since it looks like Miami is going to try to play him at the four. I mean, I, I just don't see a scenario where he works next to Whiteside. I, just there's not enough shooting, especially given, you know, Dragic is kind of an average three-point I mean, shooter. He has to be able to shoot. We'll see if yeah. he can. Yeah, that's that's gonna be the main thing for him. All right, Jonathan. Before we before we go, what was your favorite pick and your least favorite pick in this year's draft? Oh, uh, let me. I have not prepared for that question. How about you give me yours, and I'll give you a second to look at this. All right, my favorite pick. Um, I'm probably gonna go with Dennis Smith and Mavs. Honestly, I just I loved it. Love I, it. I think it was just the perfect spot for Smith to land, and I was so worried that he was gonna be this great talent that got wasted. But I think that. Dallas is the spot for him. And my least favorite pick was it's probably between Autobio and Ivan Rab. Probably gonna go with Autobio just because it was a higher pick in the draft at 14. I just don't I don't see it working out. I was so low on Autobio. And I think the Heat wasted that pick because I think they're gonna be a lot better next year. And they're not gonna have a chance to, you know, get a guy in a draft that's kinda next year's draft is supposedly supposed to thin out around the uh, the 14 range. And if they're you know, 18, 19, 20, they make the playoffs. They're probably not getting a difference maker there. So I think they really missed a shot to add a guy to their core. Uh, let's see. Favorite pick. I'll go my guy OG at uh, Toronto. Like, he gives them an athlete who can guard. Le- I mean, he can't guard LeBron, but he can match up with LeBron down the road. Mm-hmm. I think he has a ton of upside. Yeah. I like him a lot down the road. Uh Least favorite pick, I did not like what Boston did. I'm not a huge Tatum guy. Me neither. To me, you had Fultz at one, even Lonzo. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, Lonzo and Fultz are so much better than Tatum. Yeah. I li- I'll take Jackson over him, too. But yeah. to me, when you have a chance to get a, a true star like Lonzo or Fultz, you take it. I think they got a little too cute. I don't like Tatum with Jalen Brown. I don't. He could be a good player. I mean, he's okay. But to me, that, that was just not the best. When you have the number one pick in a draft, that's your chance to get a superstar, and I don't see that in Tatum. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I had Tatum 14th on my board. He was the last oh, wow. out of those nice. lottery guys for me. So, I mean, I think Boston's a better spot for him because I think they can cover for him on defense a little bit, and they can maximize his ISO ability because they have the ability to play him at the four. But I don't know. I think Isaac would have been a way better pick for them there. Definitely. I think. I mean, definitely. Jonathan, you got but, anything you want to plug before we uh, we sign off here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, TheRinger.com, we've got a ton of NBA coverage. Things are heating up on the rumor mill and the trade wire and everything else. And get all your NBA news and notes at TheRinger.com. Check out our podcasts, uh, The Ringer NBA Show, Bill's podcast, obviously. All right, well, thanks for coming on, Jonathan. Uh, this was fun talking to you, and uh, see you all later. Uh, go leave those reviews on iTunes for sure. They're much appreciated, and uh, we'll see you all later this week.